The first reading is from Luke chapter one. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The first uh, English translation of the Bible, probably know, even if you're not religious, you probably know this, just if you're interested in the English language or, or literature. Uh, the King James Version in 1611, and it's still widely used today. I didn't look this up beforehand, but it might still be the most widely used translation today, 400-something years later, which is remarkable. It's, remar it's, it's a remarkably good translation is the reason for that. It has stood the test of time. Uh, and they, they really did their job well. So I'm saying that to, as a caveat to what I'm about to say, because what I don't want you to think with what I'm about to say is, 
Uh, see, I knew it, you know, that you can't trust translations and they're always, you know, garbage. And um, who really knows what the Bible says? No, um, the King James is, is 99.999% accurate. There's a couple places that it gets it wrong, a uh, couple words, and it almost never matters. Uh, but there's, there's two big ones in the Christmas story that are really interesting. And they're interesting because in all the other cases where the King James gets it wrong, it just gets forgotten about because the modern translations take over and everybody, you know, forgets that the King James ever said that. But with the Christmas story, because the Christmas story was read in English from the King James for at least 350 years exclusively, then you can't get rid of those phrases. You can't get those phrases out of your mind. So they just will not die, even though they're, they're wrong. And like I said, they're, they're interesting. So I, I thought it would be fun to talk about those two instances tonight. Uh, the first is this translation, wise men, talking about these, these visitors from the east. And then the other one is this translation of uh, Gabriel's last words to Mary. Uh, the, the King James has it, nothing is impossible with God. So it, it talks about these wise men first, which there weren't any. Uh, and then uh, Gabriel in the King James says, nothing is impossible with God. That's not what he said. So first, wise men. And by the way, how did they get it wrong? Well, the you know, uh, understanding of ancient Greek improves a little bit over time. It was 400 years ago, so we learned some things. So there's this word. It only appears once or twice in the whole Bible. They didn't know how to translate it. These, this you know, word, these people from the east came and visited. Uh, and so I, I love that. They, I mean, let's call them wise men. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just completely uh, made up. Uh, but every good modern English translation will say magi, magi. And magi is not like synonymous with wise men. Wise men is just a completely bogus term. Uh, the, other, the idea that's bogus is uh, kings, we three kings of Orient are. Well, they weren't from the Orient, and there weren't three of them, and they weren't kings. Um, so great song. Um, I don't even know where the idea of them being kings came from, and the, the distance that they would have had to travel, there couldn't have been just three. It would have had to have been this really large caravan. There were three gifts. That's why they get this idea of, of uh, three kings, but, you know, there was a lot of each of them, probably. So who were these guys? Who were these magi? What, you know, nobody knows what magi even means. Who, who are the magi? Uh, the magi... Uh, so it's also used for the uh, term like magician or sorcerer elsewhere in the New Testament once or twice. But the more specific meaning of this term magi is uh, magi is the name of the castle where uh, Zoroaster was born. So, you know, think about um, magic. It all comes from that. It all comes from this guy Zoroaster. In Zoroastrianism, for a really long time, um, again, I should have done more fact-checking before, but for a really long time, it's very specific, um, for a really long time, Zoroastrianism was the, was the biggest, if not, you know, one of the top two or three religions in the world. Like, this was not like some, like, fringe group. This is a major religion, which is interesting in and of itself just to think about all of the religions that have risen and fallen while the God of the Bible still remains. Now, if you go back, there were, there were so many religions that had significant market share when you think about when the Bible was first written and when the God of the Hebrews shows up. Nobody, nobody worships any of those gods anymore. They're all gone. But that's not the point. The point isn't about Zoroastrianism declining. The point is it's a major religion at that time. 
And the Magi were Zoroastrians. This is, uh, it's in Persia, it's in Iran is where it's centered. Um, and that's where they came from. They, they traveled you know, across the desert from Iran. What were the Magi known for in, in terms of their uh, spiritual practice? What were Zoroastrians known for? What was spirituality to them? It was uh, two things in particular, astrology and the interpretation of dreams, which are the two things that you see these guys doing in this passage. They're studying the stars, and they follow the star, and then you know, God speaks to them to these dreams, through these dreams. And the takeaway there, um, I think there's a different takeaway, a challenging takeaway for you. Well, so, oh, so let me say this. There's, there's a comforting takeaway that like, you know, cosmopolitan New Yorkers will love. Uh, but then there's a challenging takeaway, I think, for two different groups of people, for kind of religious type people and then non-religious type people. So the, the comforting uh, aspect of that for like cosmopolitan New Yorkers is like, this is great, you know, like magi from the East, like different religions, like God speaking to everybody, you know, all paths lead to God. And that's true in a sense, but I want to I wanna twist that a little bit in a second. So that's, the, that's good. We can embrace that as New Yorkers, whereas maybe in other parts of the world or other parts of the country, they wouldn't like that. We do like that part of it. But there are still parts of this that we don't like. There's still parts of this magi piece of the story that are uncomfortable. So if you're, if you're religious, if you're a Christian, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Well, the only religious people at the birth of Christ are from the wrong religion. None of the other, like, good Bible-believing folks were invited. They just weren't there. He just didn't invite them. So that's challenging. As a church person, myself, that, that challenges me. I think I better be careful. Something's going on there. And the takeaway is God can do whatever he wants, and the stuff he likes to do, his tastes are just so different than ours. It's just not who he would have invited. If, if we were playing the, the birth, that's not how we would have done it. And we certainly wouldn't have had these shepherds, you know, who were like the bottom rung of society, socially. You know, we, we just wouldn't have done it like this in a barn. But that's how God does it, because how he likes it. So he's playing, you know, the birth, and he says, well, let's have, have some Zoroastrians come. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be, that'd be kind of interesting. So that's the challenge for us uh, Christian folk is, uh, yeah, he, the, the people from the right religion weren't invited. It's not about religion. It's about him. But then the challenge for those of you who aren't Christians, who don't see yourself as Christians or who don't see yourself as religious, the challenge for you is uh, what I don't want you to take away from this is all paths lead to God because that's not the message of Christmas. That's not the message of the Bible. You, know, you say, oh, look, the, the Zoroastrians get included too. So everybody, you know, all religions are equal. It doesn't matter. All paths lead to God. I'll just be spiritual and not religious. Well, not quite, because where does the, the journey of the Magi lead them? Bowing down. Bowing down before the King of Kings. Giving him everything they got. Worshiping him. Worshiping Jesus. There's only one path to God. There's only one path to God and its person. His name is Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to God except through me. There's no other roads to God but Jesus. But the encouraging thing is, while there are no other roads to God but Jesus, what the story shows us is that there are actually a lot of roads to Jesus. 
There are a lot of roads to Jesus, so you have to go through Jesus to get to God. But there's a lot of ways to find Jesus, and what you see is that God is speaking to these guys where they're at. Where are they looking for him? They don't have a sacred text. Where are they trying to find God? Up in the stars and listening to their dreams. And God speaks to them where they're at. Just to make this incredibly uncomfortable and put a very fine point on it. Missionaries, this is a very common story. Um, If you talk to missionaries, you know, it doesn't get published a lot because of how offensive it is. But what missionaries will tell you um, in all different cultures, in all different religions, is that the most devout people, the most sincerely uh, God-seeking people in whatever religious tradition they're in, uh, God of the Bible, Jesus, will come to them in whatever way he can. You know, so you have all these reports of devout Muslims or devout Buddhists or whatever it is, all of a sudden they start having dreams about Jesus. They can't get Jesus out of their mind. What is that? It's God honoring those people's pursuit of him. He says in the Bible, you will seek me and find me if you seek me with your whole heart. So here's the, here's the takeaway then for those of you who are here tonight and aren't Christians. I think the takeaway is, A, you know, don't convert to Christianity. That's not the message. But B, um, in whatever religious tradition you find yourself in, be a sincere seeker. Say, I'm going to follow this path, whatever your path is, whatever religion it is, or maybe it's, you know, spirituality instead of religion. Whatever it is, say, I'm going to follow this path with my whole heart. Not half-heartedly, with my whole heart. So, you know, if, if you come in here tonight and you're a nominal Jew or a nominal Muslim or nominal Buddhist or nominal whatever else, my advice to you would be dive into that, you know, dive, dive into that with your whole heart. And if you do it with your whole heart, you know, so I said the nice sounding part, now here's the not so nice sounding part, but it's actually good news. If you do it with your whole heart, it will lead you to Jesus. And Jesus is the face of God. Jesus is God himself. And there are many paths to Jesus, but there's only one path to God. So that's the first uh, mistranslation in the Christmas story in the King James Version is wise men. They weren't wise men. In fact, they were actually pretty foolish. It's pretty foolish to cross a whole desert because you saw some star. You think, well, I wonder where that's going to lead us. It doesn't sound very wise to me. But they were seeking God with their whole heart. And God said, all right, I can work with that. I can speak to that. And he drew them to the manger. The second uh, mistranslation is this scene with Mary where uh, Gabriel, you know, in the King James has it, um, nothing is impossible with God. I mean, it sounds very, you know, nice. Uh, nothing is impossible with God. Uh, I, my girls are getting to the age now where they like to ask the types of questions like, so dad, if God can do anything, can he make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Hmm? Hmm, dad? Hmm? Um, but anyway, um, that's, that's not relevant. Um, nothing, it's true that nothing is impossible with God. It's true. It's not what the angel says to Mary. It's not the point of that passage. What he says to Mary is, oh, by the way, Mary, don't forget, the word of God never fails. Don't forget if God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. This is the first Christmas uh, ever 
in my life that I have been seriously trying, and this has only been like a six-month experiment so far. Um, so yeah, I haven't had my first Easter yet, but we'll, we'll see. Um, first Christmas I've ever had where I've been seriously trying for the past six months or so to actually listen to the voice of God, to listen to what God wants to say to me, not just to deduce from principles what should a, a God-fearing person do, but to sit and listen and to see if I can hear God speaking directly to me about what he wants me to do specifically in my, in my life, in my situation. And so because of that experience, um, so first I should say it is my own perception that he has been speaking to me. So you're saying, you know, you ask me, are you saying God talks to me, to you? Like you think you hear the voice of God? Uh, that is what I'm saying. That's the claim. And you're free to, you know, uh, reject it or, or think I'm crazy, but that's the point. The thinking I'm crazy is the point. Um, what I never realized until I had tried to step into this myself, what I never realized any other Christmas, uh, was what the real challenge is for Mary here. Because, you know, I heard this, like, growing up, you'd hear people talk about, like, oh, it's really hard for Mary, you know, she's She's pregnant, and she doesn't have a husband, and, you know, that must have been, like, very shameful, and, um, you know, people must have looked down on her for being pregnant without a husband, and um, I just, that never rang true for me just because in the scales, it was like, well, who cares? If, if an angel showed up, if God came into your life, if God chose you, like, that's so much better. Like, who, who really cares? Who really cares about that stuff? It's not that hard on her. And what I've realized uh, for the first time this Christmas, from my own experience, is that the thing that was hard for Mary is that nobody believed her. Nobody believed her. And when that happens, I guarantee you that she started to disbelieve it herself. It's like we, um, we think that we came up with all these things, you know, as modern people and the ancient people didn't have categories for this stuff, like mental illness you know, like there's like, well, they just didn't know that you could go crazy back then. Well, no, it's, it's all through the Bible. It's all through ancient literature. Insanity was, of course, a category. They didn't think of it in terms of neurons like we do, but of course they thought of insanity. And so the angel shows up in your room and says, Mary, you're going to get pregnant even though you've never been with a man. And she's like, that's weird. Uh, and you know, they dialogue about it for a little bit, and, and then the angel says, don't forget, I'm, I'm leaving now, don't forget, if God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Where God never fails. But then the angel left. It's not like she had an angel there the whole time, like, you know, patting her on the back, saying, you can do this. Then the angel left. The angel was there for like five minutes, and then she's with everybody else. Every minute of every day. And so, as soon as it happened, she's like, I, that was, this is real. Like, that was from God. That, I just saw an angel in my room. I can't believe this happened. And then she goes and tells the per first person, you're never going to believe this. I'm, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the person's like, R really? Because it's a pretty convenient story, right? If you're engaged and you slip up, it's not like there's not a motive here. It's not like there's not a reason she would make up this lie. Again, back to percentages, it's a 99.99999% chance 
that she did something she wasn't supposed to do and is now making up some story about the Holy Spirit? Why would you believe her? It had never happened before. Why on earth would you believe her? Nobody believed her. And so she started to feel completely insane and started to disbelieve it herself. And that's why the angel said, Mary, if God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. These long stretches in between where she doesn't see any sign of it. She sees no proof. And then these brief glimpses. And all of a sudden, these shepherds show up. Well, speaking of times where you, know, you don't think it's working out, when you think this baby is from God and you go to, you know, you're supposed to have the baby, and then a census gets called at the time you're supposed to have the baby, so you have to travel away from your home. That's not so nice. Then you get there and there's nowhere to stay. That's not so nice. And so what about your story? What about your story that this baby's from God? Well, if this baby was from God, Mary, don't you think he'd be helping you out a little bit more? Don't you think this whole thing would be a little bit less of a train wreck if this really was from God? And then they're there in this barn, and there is blood and water all over the ground mixed in the dirt, and she is screaming, and nobody has any idea what to do. And she's thinking, this is great. Thank you for choosing me, God. Thank you. And then all of a sudden, these shepherds show up, people they've never met before, and they're like, never going to believe this. We just saw these angels in the sky. And they said, uh, the angels said that a Savior had been born today, and that the way we would know which baby was the Savior in, in, in Bethlehem, they said the sign was going to be he was going to be in a manger in a feed trough. Your baby's in a feed trough. And then these Zoroastrians show up, and they say... <laughs> We crossed the desert, and we want to bow down before your son. Here's our gifts. Here's our gold. Here's our frankincense. Here's our myrrh. The word of God never fails. It sure looks like it's gonna, though. It sure looks like it's gonna in between. Do you know how much dead space there is between these exciting things that happen where God shows up. There's just all this dead space. And even with Mary and Jesus, you know, she's, so she has that stuff, and then she's just raising this kid that seems extremely arrogant. You know, she's like, what is with this kid? Um, and, you know, he says, uh, they're in Jerusalem, and he stays behind. Oh, didn't you know I was going to be about my father's business? Okay. Um, and she has signs, little signs here and there, but maybe there's something going on here, you know, he does a miracle, or there's crowds that are following him, but then it, she ends up, like, even after 33 years, she still ends up in the exact same spot, where she's at the foot of the cross at this time, and still blood and water mixing the dirt all over the ground, and she thinks all of this for nothing, like, all of this for nothing, all of those signs, all of those signs for nothing, because here he is dying. I'm watching my own son be executed like a criminal. I really was crazy this whole time. I really made the whole thing up. And then he rises from the dead. Because the word of God never fails. The word of God never fails. Some of you here tonight, God has spoken something to you. 
You've heard him say something to you. You've heard him promise you something. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And he brought you here tonight to tell you that it is. It is going to happen. What he said to you is going to happen. And this is how much he loves you, is that he just hijacks my brain. He knows you're going to be here. He says, this is what I want you to say because I love that person. I love that person, and there's something I want them to hear tonight. I gave them a word, and that word's not going to fail. That's for some of you. For all of us, the question is, are we going to bow or not? It's the only proper response is to bow, to bow and worship. It was like people like Christmas, uh, whether you're religious or not. It was fun. It's, um, you know, gifts and lights and good cheer and a party. You know, I, I don't know about Jesus, but I like the party. Well, whose party do you think it is? You only get to be a part of the party if you bow. You have to bow down before him. You have to give him everything. You heard it talked about Herod. It said Herod was disturbed that a king had been born. Why? Because he was king. And if a new king shows up and you're on the throne, that's a problem. We all think we're good at running our lives, our own lives, and we all think we are good kings of our own lives. And we're just terrible at it. And we all know it, but we all do a great job with the facade. And the question is, how many Christmases are you going to fake it before you just bow? You know, at least if you're not, if you're not going to bow, at least have the courage to not celebrate Christmas. You know, at least say, I'm not going to celebrate the birth of this supposed king that I don't even worship. Don't do that. Come before him and give him everything you have, and he will take you and make you into everything that he's ever wanted you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming down to save us. Thank you for mixing yourself up in all this flesh and blood and water and dirt. All of this mess. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for speaking to us. You know how hard it is for us to believe in between the times we hear your voice. So I pray tonight that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd come and comfort us like you promised to do and let us know that your word will never fail. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen King. Amen.